Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. I'm Xu Qinduo. Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden met in San Francisco for their first face-to-face meeting in a year. Both sides have made positive comments on the meeting, calling the talks candid, comprehensive, and in-depth. What more do we know about the summit? What's next for China-U.S. relations? And what are the major issues threatening smooth ties between the two powers? To help us answer these questions and more, I'm joined by Dr. Zhao Hai, Director of International Political Studies of the National Institute for Global Strategy, Professor Wolwig Pao from the Queensland University of Technology, who is also the chairman of Smart Trade Networks, and Surat Gupta, resident senior fellow of the Institute for China-America Studies. Zhao Hai, we'll start with you. So uh, we, we, are, we are going to see the significant increase of direct flights and uh, uh, obviously the cooperation on fentanyl and other uh, military uh, channel of discussion between the two sides. Uh, so when you look back at the outcome of the, conver- you know, the summit meeting, uh, are those uh, outcomes uh, as you expected? Uh, yes, I think that's exactly what we're expected. Uh, probably some people have uh, higher expectations, but for researchers like us, closely following the situation on the ground, uh, would say that this summit is at least meeting the expectations, in some respect really beating the expectations, because the expectations going into this meeting uh, were laid very low. So I think um, at this point, because of the uh, really deteriorating relationship in the last more than 12 months, um, I think at this time, repairing this relationship and restore that to uh, the uh, pre, um, uh, uh, let's say, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan and also uh, other uh, pandemic hit uh, bilateral relationship is a very positive sign that uh, moving forward, this relationship will move towards a better uh, or stabilizing future. Mm. Uh, Mr. Gupta, looking at the development of the summit meeting from the U.S., uh, uh, what's the you know, general response you know, from the public, from the media? I think there's actually been a lot of, of, of attention to the summit. Usually the, the, the general headline out here has been about the conflict in the Middle East, and that has been the primary focus. But I think it was completely moved aside, and the focus really was on the summit and on, the, on, 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 on President Xi and President Biden and the state of U.S.-China relations and what it mean, means for the world. And I think there was a, a, a welcome attention which was paid to that meeting. And I think both sides understand and, and the people and the media understand uh, the value of getting this relationship right. So I was actually fairly encouraged by the response in the media in terms of the coverage of the summit, which until very recently, uh, it has all been focused on the on on the situation in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. You know, Powell, Warwick, Warwick Powell here. If you look at the the you know China-U.S. relationship, well, of course, you know we cannot say say that enough. It's very important not only to, to countries but also you know countries around the world. Uh, do you see positive development or are you full of hopes for the bilateral ties? Look, I always remain um, hopeful, if not entirely optimistic. And that's because the relationships between the two countries have headed down a very rocky path for quite some time. And you don't turn that circumstance around um, with one or two meetings. The real test 
of this summit is going to be what happens over the next three, six and 12 months. Is there going to be sufficient walk to follow the talk? And the big question mark remains the sincerity, in my view, of the collective West, broadly speaking, and also of the American follow through. We've seen talk before, not followed up by walk, and a febrile domestic environment heading into an election year could easily derail any of the good intents and high level consensus that might have been reached at the meeting of leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Gupta, I want your response. You know, last time around, you know, a year ago for the uh, Bali summit, and, and, you know, there's a very good consensus by the two leaders, but, the, you know, the sense is like there's a lack of uh, implementation, uh, you know, uh, follow-up of that uh, agreement. What about this time around? Do you see there's a seriousness to follow through? Yes, there's a seriousness, but, you know, again, on Bali, my view is slightly different in, 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 in from the way you framed it, because in Bali they said, you know, we need to set a floor, we need to start emplacing guardrails, and it was a strong consensus and they didn't have any really deliverables deliverables coming out like on say fentanyl or us mill mill etc etc but yes i mean and then then started wanted to start the lines of communication and of course then the balloon incident happened and so that sent a chill in ties but the importance of bali was that they had such a firm consensus and intention that they did want to move forward that after a decent interval of that balloon incident, the process that they intended to start in December 2022 was started in June 2023 when Mr. Blinken, when initially, I think, uh, in Vienna, Wang Yi and National Security Advisor Sullivan met, and then Mr. Blinken traveled and Kerry and Yellen and Raimondo and everybody. So the intention of Bali was a strong one, and there was follow through to start initiating those lines of communication, and those were initiated. And so right now, at this point of time in San Francisco, we have the lines of communication operational. We know that there are guiding principles being set. And now there are also some small lower level deliverables. The next step would be to start harvesting them, to start implementing them genuinely and sincerely, and also trying to maintain the relationship in a holding pattern as the U.S. goes into its election campaign. And with these lines of communication, if there is an issue cropping up next year, then troubleshoot it and the lines of communication are open. So I think San Francisco is a continuum from Bali. And I think it's the, the relationship is on a right track, although it is, uh, of course, not going at the pace that we would like it to go in terms of being a more warmer, quicker, faster and more productive relationship. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this election, of course. Uh, do you think that the general election will have any negative impact on the follow, you know, uh, on the implementation of those agreements there? We're talking two elections here. One is, of course, the election in Taiwan, which will which will have impact on the on the on on how U.S. China the triangular relationship works out, and then, of course, the presidential election. I actually do not think they will have that much of an impact unless they get derailed by a serious incident. And we have to understand, you know, we have these deliverables coming out on fentanyl on mill mill. There's also the potential next year of having a sm- another small and important deliverable, which might the re- be the renewal of the U.S.-China bilateral science and technology agreement. So that could be a deliverable. 
And also, you know, if one reads the climate change statement, which was passed, I think, on November 14th, they're talking of a high level summit among state and provincial leaders sometime in the middle of next year. So they're trying to ensure that there is momentum going forward so that even if it does get kicked back because of election electioneering related uh, noises in the U.S., at least there can be stability in the relationship. And my sense is that because these low deliverables are lower level deliverables, they're also very actionable even in that environment. And that's why they've not tried to do too much and then trip up and then trip up. They're trying to do something small, but realize that. And I think that's a good good way forward at, in this time at this time. Jawhai, mm -hmm. uh, uh, as uh, Mr. Gupta mentioned, but if you look at the deliverables, if you look at, uh, of course, the, the visits you know, by senior officials, uh, it's sort of like a delayed proper follow through of the Bali uh, agreement uh, there. And you do see uh, like a solid uh, improving in terms of the tone, in terms of the deliverables. Mm -hmm. And this time around, you, of course, we are going to see increase, increasing uh, direct flights between the two countries and the visa application will be streamlined and then we'll be meeting about tourism, for example, and China is ready as announced by President Xi Jinping to invite 50,000 young Americans to China uh, on exchange or study programs in the next five years. When you look at the, the deliverables, uh, first of all, I'm confident that they will be delivered and um, you know, the follow through will be there. And secondly, um, how impactful that is, you know, what, what is the intention here uh, if you look at uh, uh, these developments? Uh, yeah, if you look at the deliverables, you would notice that those are uh, focused on not high politics, but low politics area, where uh, President Xi emphasized people-to-people -people relations, young people, local-to-local -local, uh, connections, and those are exactly the two governments focused on right now, because there are many uh, difficulty um, uh, still exist in terms of trade, technology, and military-to-military and -military relations, and those are hard to crack. And at this point, I think beginning with smaller, low-hanging fruit will be the best choice for both governments. So yes, I, I believe those will be delivered, and particularly the flights, uh, you know, the students travel to China. But of course, uh, the U.S. needs to lower its uh, travel uh, signs, uh, travel uh, levels, uh, warning levels uh, on China first. Uh, and the other thing is uh, uh, China agreed probably in the near future will deliver more pandas uh, to the United States. And as we all know that American people really love panda. So I think uh, there are many areas where both sides can increase connectivity and exchanges on multiple levels. And that will bring pressure, I think, back to Washington, D.C. Because Washington is using the excuse that now more Americans hold negative perceptions of China to try to capitalize on that negative perception to say that uh, stand tough against China is somehow gathering more votes for their politicians. But if we change that uh, environment and make more people-to-people -people friendly relationship uh, uh, presentable you know, to Washington, D.C., that will put pressure on those politicians and uh, at least change some of the politicians' view about China, about their ability to use that uh, as political capital. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think uh, right now, Congress is a major obstacle to improve bilateral relationship. It's not uh, just the government. I think uh, Congress needs to be 
uh, more aware of China's real intentions and the future of China-U.S. relations. Because now, some of the proposed bills and some of the uh, uh, you know, negative intentions in Congress is really doing uh, potential harmful things on both countries, not just China, but also self-inflicting wounds to Americans as well. So I think that's the importance of this summit because the two leaders have has marked a principle for the future and marked the roadmap for the future even though right now I think uh, some people may be disappointed about the number of deliverables. Uh, the list is probably long enough but I think with the established mechanisms and you know, dialogues and multiple connections, uh, contacts in the future we will see gradually more fruits will be mature and uh, to, to get ready uh, for the benefit of both countries. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. So Warwick, you know, despite the differences uh, on some you know, major issues, including on Taiwan probably, um, you do see this um, you know, the kind of willingness and sincerity from both leaders, from both sides. You know, let's stabilize our relationship, let's like a, you know, restart our relationship uh, you know, with people-to-people -people exchange. Uh, but then you know, there's another factor. You know, how do you see that about this negative sentiment toward China in the U.S.? You know, the percentage is rather high. The reality is, is that a lot of this negative sentiment has been caused by the efforts and the resources committed to drumming up the China threat, China fear campaign, heavily funded from Congress. And it's not a sentiment that has just emerged organically amongst the wider population. The fact of the matter is, is that over the last 20 plus years, the United States has benefited significantly from its economic relationship with China, as has China benefited from the economic relationship with the United States. The challenge has been, so it seems to me, that the benefits, the aggregate benefits to, to the United States have not been effectively shared and distributed across the body politic. And in that environment, whipping up a China fear, China threat campaign with hundreds of millions of dollars of funding um, has, you know, it, it's got fantastic raw material to work from. That's very unfortunate and it creates significant, significant barriers um, to, to overcome in the short term. Hopefully the longer term we'll see the people to people connections starting to wear some of that negativity down. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Gupta, do you see that as um, you know, a, a probably one of the biggest barrier in terms of um, you know, bringing the two countries together probably or to gain a better understanding of each other? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that sentiment which was expressed. Uh, the, the problem really, it's not been an organic bottom-up process. It has been a top-down establishment-led process to let's try to start tearing up our relationship with China because in the larger view, 
U.S. and China are fated to compete. This is great power competition. We can't be too tight with each other. We need to actually be separated. Otherwise, how can we be enemies and compete with each other? And this was the process from high-level establishment trying to create that separation. And that's why it's been such an uh, so unfortunate. It's not just been in the United States. I would say in most of the Five Eyes countries, which have had conservative or Republican governments, apart from New Zealand, have all gone down this route. And that's why it's been very it's it's been it's it's been very disappointing in this regard. And that's why the whole process of trying to bend this relationship around to a more warmer, in a more warmer trend would necessarily entail more contacts. Of course, COVID also came and, and shared some of those contacts between the, the two countries and the two peoples. And I'm hoping those contacts will, will start thickening again. And one point I would like to raise also, which we don't pay that much attention to in these summits, both leaders have tried to reassure the other side with a number of assurances. China says, we're not here to become number one. We're not here to displace you. We're not here to interfere in your politics. And the U.S. has also come back and, and said things like, we're not here to decouple. We're not here to contain. We keep to our one China policy. Alliances are not meant against against you. We are not trying to subvert the, the, the Chinese state and your system. And yes, both sides don't really believe, believe what the other says because there's a lack of trust. But there is that effort to create reassurances. And it doesn't make sense, I would say, to incessantly parse what each side is saying or trying to believe what the other side is saying. Take it at face value what they're saying, and on that basis, try to establish a new relationship so long as there's sincerity in the conduct and following through on those assurances. And I think that itself could help stabilize the relationship. And I see the two leaders trying to go down that route, and I think it's a welcome development. Mm -hmm. A welcome development. Uh, uh, John Hai, if you look at the two countries, you know, Gupta mentioned about the lack of trust and also probably the lack of uh, understanding, you know, uh, as uh, you know, President Xi Jinping mentioned, you know, one of the uh, big issues he has been thinking is really, you know, are we adversaries? Are we partners? Uh, here's a direct quote, you know, this is a fundamental and overarching issue. The logic is quite simple. If one sees the other side as a primary uh, competitor, the most consequential geo uh, geopolitical challenge and a pacing threat, it will only lead to misinformed policymaking, uh, misguided actions and unwanted results. Uh, China is ready to be a partner and a friend of the U.S. The fundamental pr principles that we follow uh, in handling the relationships uh, uh, you know, mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and a win-win cooperation. Mm -hmm. uh, for the Chinese side, it's, it's really about the setting the tone, uh, you know, like what kind of relationship we want to have, and then we do what we need to do. Yeah. But for the U.S., uh, it's, uh, you know, it's already said, it's a strategic competition. Mm -hmm. Under such a background, probably what we need to do uh, to increase the understanding. As, as Gupta rightly pointed out, you know, China said, I don't want to be the hegemony. I'm not seeking sphere of influence. I'm not here to de, uh, you know, uh, dethrone the U.S. But there's a lack of trust there. Exactly. Um, I think that's why um, President Xi mentioned that, because uh, in order to build the right house, you need to have a, the right foundation. Because if the foundation is shaky, then the house is not stable. Uh, so I think um, the difference between uh, China and the U.S., uh, view of the bilateral relationship has been ongoing because China always emphasized that we need to first have a principle uh, and the vision for the bilateral relationship be before we can go into details and discuss exactly how to act on certain uh, you know problems. Uh, but the U.S. side always emphasized uh, in a 
very much a transactional way uh, to do uh, one thing or another and gradually build on top one after another on top of another to build trust. Uh, and before they can achieve that kind of trust, they will not uh, agree with China on any principle. So the both sides are actually from a, you know, a diagonal different approaches. Different approaches. <laughs> uh, but at, you know, but we hope we're moving towards each other, not away from each other. So that's why, uh, just like Dr. Guba said, it's very important to reassure each other that we're not each other's threat and not challenging the uh, each other's fundamental or core interests. So I think that's very important. And the other thing is that uh, I want to emphasize one point, um, because other than the top-down propaganda, I think pandemic is also a very much a factor that uh, in the past three years, preventing two countries and two peoples to come closer with each other. Uh, because all the, of the communication channels and normal travels, as we know, are interrupted. And some of the you know, good ideas, even you know, think tank people, track two connections are severed. So mm. at this point, I think we're just warmed up. People-to-people uh, -people exchange is just restoring, and we cannot rush this. I think the ice uh, is is frozen too deep. We need to gradually warm and, and reduce the, the the layer of ice at this point. Uh, and I think with the right principle, right direction, uh, at least we're moving consistently moving towards that and to, to get rid of uh, you know those barriers. Mm -hmm. One thing, uh, just uh, one last point is that uh, I think next year people always worried about uh, the campaign, uh, the presidential election and the attack on China. I think this summit is important because that will give people a peace mind, peaceful mind and that at least will reduce uh, the hotness of, of this issue. Uh, and normally you don't see China issue as a top issue in the U.S. elections because it's domestic issues domestic always issue, take right, a, right. a priority. Mm -hmm. So hopefully with a more stabilized relationship, uh, the U.S. election will not direct all their attention on, on the China issue and continue to have a spillover effect on bilateral relationship and so that other uh, activities, business activities, people-to-people -people exchanges will conduct normally, not being a, uh, impact or affected by uh, the political game in, in the town of Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Gupta, both you and, uh, and Joe have mentioned about this is you know, uh, not a bottom-up, it's a top-down uh, you know, uh, issue here. Uh, since it's from the top, you know, are we able to change that, the negative atmosphere? I think uh, I think that's there's going to be difficulty because, you know, here's let me express what I found disappointing about the summit and the disappointing part is right at the front from the get go. The U.S. side saying we are in extreme competition. It was almost as if it's in a haste to say that to sort of prejudge the summit outcomes and say we are in extreme competition. It's just going to be that way. Because if the framing of the relationship itself is different from the two sides, there is, I mean, they aren't really rowing in the same direction in that way. And the Chinese side is saying, no, we are not adversaries the way you all are framing it to be. The good point is when, you know, to be adversaries, you need both sides to be adversaries. And when one side says, no, we are not adversaries, it limits how far the other side can treat the side as an adversary. But still, I was a little disappointed to see that framing itself that there isn't a coherence out there at the highest level. And we see that also, you know, in these, there's not been a joint statement. Each side puts out its readouts. The Chinese side puts out a far greater, more detailed readout, 
which has a lot more conciliatory talk from the American side to the Chinese, which is not in the Chi American readout. And that's why I'd like to see all the, if they can put together even a joint press statement, not a full joint statement, they've not been able to do so far. And my hope is that at least these are small steps in the right direction and maybe down the line, if Mr. President, Mr. Biden is man, manages to get re-election, that what has been achieved so far would be a platform for really deepening the relationship in the mid-2020s, because they are getting down to setting those principles on the basis of which they can then transact productively, hopefully. Mm -hmm. uh, so, pa Mr. Powell, if you look at that, you know, this bilateral relationship here, obviously, I mean, it, it is important, but at the same time, they have differences, different approaches. Uh, to deal with this relationship, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, someone from, say, you know, countries between these two powers, um, what do you see that, you know, what's your worry? And uh, are you having probably a bit more peaceful mind, you know, when you see the two leaders, you know, shaking hands, you know, with big smiles toward each other, uh, and hopefully things will get better there? Look, in terms of optics, it's always better for leaders of countries to be able to have civil conversations with each other and to demonstrate a level of bonhomie. But I think the previous um, panellists actually opened up a very important issue. It's not just a disappointment that there are different framings. I think it actually says something very fundamental about how two countries and two civilizations view the role of major countries in the early 21st century. The US, and particularly the Beltway elite, draw deeply from the well of American exceptionalism and a Manichaean framing that sees the world in good guy, bad guy, black and white terms, where relationships are transactional and pitched very much as peer competitor, major power competitor relationships. Alternatively, what we've seen articulated is a view about major national relationships in the context of multilateral collaborative frameworks. And I think the message out of this, and the message that is the hopeful message, is that there are ways in which nations around the world, big, medium and small, can actually work with each other, not in an adversarial framework as an a priori, but to actually set a framework and a set of principles that begin from the basis of the common ground. And the common ground, of course, is a shared planet, right? Um, and a shared humanity that impacts on the health of our planet and that impacts on the health and well-being of the various peoples of each of the countries of the world. So it is disappointing that, that this exists, but there is a historical reason why, in fact, these uh, framings are there and this mm -hmm. will continue to be I think the source of friction for quite some time going forward. Well uh, thank you gentlemen uh, with that we are coming to the end of today's discussion uh, many thanks again to our uh, guests you can also find us on the CJTN uh, app on YouTube I'm Xu Jindo thanks for being with us see you next time